Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Okay, Kayla. I'm thinking we need to cover the holidays a little bit. Holidays. We must cover the holidays. They're happening. (laughs) So we do this. I'm sure you're going to do it in your meetings as well. But we are we started this this week in the rest meetings. We started looking at the holidays, which is interesting because I've got lots of Canadians that are in the group as well. And the Canadians already had their Thanksgiving. (laughs) It was a lot earlier. And and it's like, I feel bad. I feel like uh, we didn't cover it early enough. But I have told them to go ahead and anything that we do, take and put the word holiday in its place, because it could be July 4th. It could be a family wedding. It could be anything it doesn't have to just be Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah. It does. It doesn't. It could be any holiday. What are your thoughts? Talk to me. My thoughts are that it's that preparation is essential, and that we don't want to go into this time of year because there's the holidays, but also there's the winter. At least in this part of the world, where things just feel different. I'm just going to put it that way, whether it's the fact that the sun is out for less hours a day and that puts you in a particular mood. It could be that there are family gatherings that you're anticipating. But I I think that the most important time about this time of year is the expectations, okay? Like there's this expectation that, especially, okay, let's go with gatherings, that supposed to be a time of bonding and family and connection and, you know, feeling good and feeling close and kind of hunkering down with the people that you love. And if only it were that simple. So I see you have something to say, jump on him. Oh, well, actually, I I agree with you. That's like my number one, the number one topic that we talk about in rest is about managing your expectations And if I can, let me see if I can find this. I have this thing that we read from and I would really love to share it with everybody because there's one sentence that I make everybody in the group read three times. Let me just read it to everybody. This is the picture that's being painted. Families gathered around a large table sharing what they're thankful for and enjoying a home-cooked meal together. Loved ones watching the iconic Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade together before enjoying football over turkey and stuffing. These classic images of family joy and bliss are often associated with the Thanksgiving Day holiday, which, which, yep, this was my image when I first started hosting it. Everything was going to be perfect. And my expectations were through the roof. Well, let me let me read to you the one sentence that we read three times when we're going through this article, because we need to get the point across. Holding on to the expectation of hosting the perfect Thanksgiving Day dinner is a recipe for disaster. (laughs) 
holding on to the expectation of hosting the perfect Thanksgiving Day dinner is a recipe for disaster. And I 100% believe that, that thinking that this is how it's going to go, you're setting yourself up for a disaster. So talk to me. Well, can I ask you a question? Sure. We talk about this, right? Control your expectations, mm-hmm. right? Bring them down. Don't set them too high. Let things go, right? We talk about that. Let things go. If you have to meditate in the middle of Thanksgiving Day or your whatever holiday you're celebrating, you got to go meditate just to calm yourself down, do it. But there's one thing that a lot of people in the industry will tell family members that I actually think it's not a good piece of advice. And that is people will say, set down these big boundaries. And I'm like, okay, I think it's definitely a time to set down some boundaries, but not big boundaries. This is not the day to say, if you show up at the house and you're high or you're drunk, I'm not letting you in. I don't think that that is a good piece of advice. And I often will be in our meetings and I'll often say, let's picture what happens under those circumstances. You've got this dinner you've been cooking. You're all stressed out. Everybody, you know, someone's building a fire. People are setting the table. You've got 20 people at your house. And then your loved one shows up and they're, they've been drinking way too much. And now you're going to say, you can't come in. What is going to happen? What do you think will happen under those circumstances? Oh, it's not going to be pretty. We know that. And then you have a scene and then you automatically, even though this person is not in your house or may not come in, you've already created a scene. So your day is done. It's ruined anyway, even if they don't come in. So what are the alternatives, Lori? <laughs> well, I actually have a whole bunch of them, right? Like maybe it's a discussion ahead of time and saying, you know, if there's over imbibing, we are going to bring you into this room and you can lie down and you know, we'll check on you. Or maybe it's, we're not having the holiday at my house this year and you meet your loved one somewhere and, you know, you change that tradition up and you hold a holiday celebration with the rest of the family on a different day. And the, the other issue with that is a lot of family members get very worried that it's going to be like that forever and ever and ever. And it might not be. It may be a situation where your loved one is just struggling right now. They're deeply struggling with this, with drinking or using, but maybe a year or two down the road, they're in a better place. And you can then start to have them come back to your house for an old tradition. Or another thing to do, let's say you as a family, maybe you're not hosting, you're going somewhere else. That, you know, you're going to the aunt's house or something like that, or grandma's house. You sit down and you say, if there's over imbibing, we're going to leave. Or maybe we're going to leave you there, but we're going to go. Or maybe it's something where you say, you know, if there's too much beforehand, we're just going to stay home. Or we're going to set time limits. There's a lot of alternatives that you can do so that you're not setting yourself up to this 
20 people are involved. The police have to show up. Your loved one's banging on the windows and on the doors. Let me in, right? Like, you're horrible. And I say, find small boundaries, small boundaries that you can set that's going to make your life just a little bit more manageable. That actually these big events are not the place to really dig your feet in and set these really big boundaries. See, and and I'm also thinking as you're speaking that for so many of the families, it's the absolute opposite problem, which is that their loved one is nowhere to be found or will absolutely not be coming. And that's the other level of expectation. It's like, it's, you know, oh, I'm going to have my whole family together. Everybody's coming back or I'm going to get to see them on this very special day. And then they don't want to show up or they don't, they can't handle it and they don't come down the stairs or show up. And that's part of the expectation is it has to be okay. And the work that you have to do is how do I comfort myself so that this intact, wonderful family unit where we're all like sitting around playing guitar and singing after dinner is not the expectation with this loved one. And I really like what you said, because I'm a believer in creating new traditions. It's one of my things. And it could be that you have a tradition with your loved one that you go out to dinner one night, the day after Thanksgiving or the day after Christmas or the day after Hanukkah or whatever, even though Hanukkah is eight days, and that you create something and you say, look, I just want time alone with you. You know, I just want to be with you. So we're going to make this beautiful dinner or we'll go out to dinner. And then you, the only thing you then have to deal with is, is the person going to show up? And then you have to look at those expectations. You know, I love what you're saying here, because the other thing is, is that actually sometimes that frees your loved one up not to have this expectation that they have to go and sit with 20 people and they don't like half of them and half of them don't like your loved one. And it says, but I want to spend time with you. I still want to be with you. Yes. Right. So I think kind of changing your view of what this is, that it's not a punishment it's not a punishment for you. It's not a punishment for your loved one. It's actually very freeing. And I want to share with you, I'm glad you bring this up, Kayla, because I struggled with this issue for a very long time. My son never did well during the holidays. And I'm not that way. I'm I'm one of these people like, I'm going to make it the most beautiful, most wonderful time. And I just bask in the fact that I've got all these people around me. So it was very difficult for me to understand why my loved one, you know, why my son couldn't enjoy it the same way that I did. And it took me a long time, a really long time to get through it. But once I kind of identified that, oh my God, not everybody feels the same way I do, of course, you know. And once I started to recognize that I don't need to know the reasons why this is stressful for my son, I don't need to know that. I just need to recognize it and I need to free him of any of my own expectations of what he should or shouldn't do. And actually, I can remember saying to him, you know what, you do what's good for you. If you are stressed out and can't come out of your room, then you don't. If you're in the middle of our dinner and someone says something that upsets you and you just need to exit and need to go for a drive or go to your room, you do it. Whatever it is, uh, this is not meant to be stressful for anybody. And if it is, 
I do want you to go take care of yourself. And I have to tell you, just doing that, he now comes to all the dinners and he never leaves. And he, you know, I did some other things. It was always difficult to get him. And actually my oldest daughter, it was always difficult to get them involved in helping. Yeah. (laughs) Right. In helping. Trigger warning. (laughs) So what I did that year was I sent an email out to everybody with a list and said, these are the things that would be very helpful if people could kind of take control of these and do these things while I'm making dinner, it would be really helpful. If you could go ahead and sign up for whatever it is that you're willing to do. I cannot believe nobody, there were no arguments and everybody did. Everybody signed up for what they were willing to do and everybody pitched in and did it. And I was like, wow. Right. Everybody was freed up. Everybody showed up to the dinner. So I think it is really, really important what you're saying, Kayla, to kind of change your expectations. Yeah. And it's a relief because what happens if we give people space, they actually act better. You know, if if we give ourselves space, we do better too, because it takes the stress off of it. And I feel like you know, like I, I keep hearing people talk about, oh, I'm going to make this gigantic dinner and things are very expensive right now. I'm not going to do it. People don't care about what food you're going to make. They just want to be together. And so every time we move, remove an expectation of like how magnificent this is going to be, it takes the edge off of it. And we have to really, this is where we get to look at ourselves as like, what tension and anxiety and stress and pressure am I bringing to this? That everybody's going to behave, that I have to do everything and make everything happen, that I have to create this perfect environment. Let it go. Because we do have to start with ourselves. And to me, it's like, all right, the reality of this, of gatherings is that it's about people being together, whether it's a holiday, whether it's having dinner, whatever. And so more and more if we could back off and just like, well, you know, I would love for you to be there. And it's absolutely fine if you're not. And then there's this whole other level of the conversations that we have with others about our loved ones. Okay. It's essential because so much of what we talk about in the group is, you know, oh, people are like, how's your kids or how's your husband or whatever. And everybody's expecting the perfunctory like, oh, everything's good or great. Or you hear this like massively successful story of how everybody's doing. And if you are a person is not doing very well or you don't even know how they're doing, then what happens is it puts you in a position of like, oh my God, what am I going to say? I'm so anxious, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this is where, I mean, there's a 25 answers for how you could respond to them, but you want to think about this in advance so that you're not caught off guard. And I believe that this is where reframing comes in because you could say, you you could decide that you're going to go for the full truth. My loved one is out there. I'm really not sure what's going on. I think that they're homeless, but I'm not positive. I'm quite sure that they're using some forms of substances, not sure which ones, but we don't have, we're not in contact a lot. Doubt that most people are going to say that unless you're with a very close person on the other end. Most likely it's more like you need to come up with a narrative, like a simple elevator response that you're going to say to people that you feel okay about that is not lying, but it's about how you frame it. So for example, it's like, 
my person's going through a difficult time right now. We're not in contact a lot. That's why they're not here, but we're in some contact and they're going through it. And, you know, I'm being as supportive as I can given the circumstances. So you say that, or you say, yeah, they're okay. Like, and then you have to be with, be okay if you just say they're okay. And then really frame it inside of yourself to mean it so that you're not lying. So it could be that we do the reframe that we talk about all the time, which is like, well, they're making this choice and that's how what they want to be doing. And in my form of acceptance, they're okay. I don't like what they're doing, but they're okay as well as it's going to be. And I also think, I think it's important for people to give permission to their, to themselves to be able to say, you know what, you know, you'd have to talk to him. Yes, You'd have to ask them. This is just my opinion. And, uh, and that's between you and them. And also I think give yourself permission that sometimes you don't want to be near people that are going to be asking those questions that sometimes it's done in a very judgmental way. Give yourself permission to say, yeah, not this year, not this year. I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm just not doing that. I have all sorts of little things in my back pocket of things to say to people like, well, you should do this. And I go, oh, you've been doing a lot of research around substance use disorder and how to approach people. That's interesting. So have I. And I've kind of settled down on this method called craft. Do you want to know about it? I have this whole website you can go and look at, right? Like I'm going to invite you in. Sure. I'm going to invite you in. This is the approach that I've decided to use. Let me know what you think about it after you've gone and looked at the website and read about it. Or I might even say, you know what? This is what I've decided and I'm good. I'm good. If you want to be an ear, that's great, but I kind of don't need any advice. My thing, because you know I use this word all the time, is I would say, that's really interesting. What I found is it's complicated. (laughs) It's complicated. And that I love that it feels like there's this one way to do things. And that has not been my experience. But man, you have some interesting ideas. I appreciate them, but I'll take it on under advisement. But I have realized it's complicated. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> it it would be really helpful for me to for you to see it as it's how complicated it is. And trust me, you don't want me to start telling you how complicated it is. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spare you. Yeah. A few other things, a few other things around the holidays. I think it's important to convey a lot of a lot of your boundaries and your expectations with other family members as well. It's not just your loved one that is struggling with things, right? It's everybody. I think it's important to put a timeline down if you need to. Hey, I want to let everybody know. Dinner starts at about two o'clock and then by six o'clock, I want everybody out the door or I'm done. Or, you know, certainly you can do it in a more compassionate and caring way, but don't be afraid to do that and get in there and talk to other family members and you know, maybe someone is uh, doesn't want to be around your loved one. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to come, right? Like you can go somewhere else. I just want to let you know that they are going to be there. And my expectations are that we're going to be respectful of one another. And and I want to I want to put a little shout out for grief during this time of year that it's supposed to be this happy time and this, you know, exuberant time with people that you love. And there is so much grief that people are walking around with about grief about how things should have been or could have been and what you wanted for this person. And they're not that's not how their life is playing out, which directly impacts your life. 
And then there's also grief. There's plenty of loss involved. If, you know, some people have lost loved ones and we want to be respectful of this, that we need to acknowledge our own grief, the grief of other people, and also really know that some some of this is about sadness. And this time of year could bring up a lot of depression for people and certainly anxiety. So we want to make room for ourselves with that. And we also want to make room for other people without having to take care of other people. It's more about acknowledging and noticing. I think that's a great point. I think it's a really important piece that a lot of people miss. So I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up. And there's even this kind of, they call it ambiguous grief, where family members that are struggling with a loved one with substance use disorder who can't be there, they have a feeling of loss and grief. And recognizing that in yourself and helping to relieve that expectation that you should be happy, I think is a, is a really important piece in this. But also just to kind of add a few other things in there, consider making it an alcohol-free event. Mm, Yeah. For so many reasons. So a couple of things to consider. Drinking at these large gatherings tends to be very social. That's what social groups do they they drink together they're having a couple of glasses of wine or whatever it is beer watching a football game and your loved one especially if they're in early recovery can feel very disconnected and feel as if one it might be tempting but they can feel very disconnected even if alcohol is not their their substance of use so I think of my, my son, never, never a big drinker, doesn't like alcohol and alcohol was not his issue, but we did make it alcohol free events. Like we did that for quite a few years, actually, especially when he was in, er- in early recovery, because it was the social aspect of it. I didn't want him to feel like he wasn't a part of everything. And he expressed it. He, he was like, I can't right now, you know, maybe in the future, but right now I can't have a drink. And so I did do this. I did this for quite a few years of, we had alcohol, alcohol free events. I did tell my family members, Hey, this is going to be an alcohol free event. And if you aren't comfortable with that, I totally understand if you're not going to come. I get it. And that's okay. No, no bad feelings on my, my end of it, but we're not going to have drinking here. And, you know, some people complained about it. And I was like, look, I look at it like this. If your grandmother was on an oxygen tank and you were a smoker and I said, we're having a no smoking event because your grandmother's here with an oxygen tank and it might blow up, you would be willing you know, you'd be more than willing to not smoke around your grandmother at that event. It's the same thing. We're talking about the same thing. What I find fascinating about this analogy that you're using is that, you know, people are all judgy about our loved one that's dealing with substances, you know, how their life has kind of gone off the hill. But during this social gathering, we're saying, okay, we're not going to have alcohol. And somebody's so upset that they might not come. What does that say about their relationship with alcohol? As a therapist, I'd be like, flag, flag, flag. (laughs) Right, I agree with you. And to me, it's like, I'm asking for one day without alcohol. If you can't go one day without alcohol, then you should rethink things, right? 
the other thing that I've found is it felt in the beginning when we were doing this no alcohol event, you know, this alcohol free event, it felt like it was going to be forever, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It ended up only being a couple of years that we didn't have alcohol. And now we do have alcohol at, at the events. And my son is fine with it. It was just a, a particular time frame. And I'm not saying that that it's going to be the same for your loved one, because maybe it is something that they, you know, you just never have an event with alcohol. But I want to also have people consider this about an alcohol-free event. Think also in terms of the food that you're making, because oftentimes there's alcohol in the food that you're making. And that's an important piece. So for example, I make a cranberry sauce and I put contro, is that how you pronounce it? It's an orange flavored liqueur. And I put that in my cranberry sauce or I baste my turkey in red wine. And I know it sounds crazy, but sometimes the alcohol doesn't cook off. And I've also heard people in recovery say that they won't eat food that is cooked in any form of alcohol, that they can still taste it and that they find it triggering. So I try and make sure that when I say an alcohol-free event, I'm taking all alcohol out of it as much as I possibly can. We're not going to have rum cake, rum balls for, for the holidays, right? Yeah. So I think consider having an alcohol-free event. A couple of other things. I think for the family member, build your own support system. This is not the time to stop going to your groups. I think it's actually one of the best times to continue to engage with whatever support system you've built for yourself. Just now as a therapist, I call this my busy season. Oh, interesting. It's the busiest time of the year for me because everybody thinks they're supposed to be happy, but they're not. Or they feel stress and some kind of loss and depression. And also, you know, if you have loss in your life, this is the time of year that you feel it the most. And, you know, there comes a point in life when you do have loss in your life and you're going to feel it now. There are people that are not here. There's traditions that are not happening. There are changes that are happening. And it's it's a rough time. And, and also, by the way, it is darker and that doesn't help. So I just want, I know I keep saying it's darker, but darker affects mood. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you're bringing this up too, because I noticed this year, I, I never realized how many people actually do experience, um, what is it called? Seasonal affective disorder. Because I know that both my son and my husband absolutely are affected by the sun or the darkness. And I noticed on Facebook, when we had daylight savings time, the dread that people were expressing. And I, I'm still seeing it. I'm seeing things like, oh, good night, everybody. I'm off to bed. Oh, shoot. It's not midnight. It's four o'clock. Exactly. And I know that that's a little bit of, you know, it's some sarcasm and all of that, but there's truth in there, right? That this person is feeling that it's dark now and they wish they had the light. And I, I totally agree with you. I think about things like it is a little depressing when you get up first thing in the morning and it's pitch black and you get in your car and you drive to work and then you stay at work in your office all day and then you go out to your car and it's pitch black, mm -hmm. right? It makes sense that you wouldn't be feeling all that wonderful because you don't have that sunshine in your life. 
exactly. Okay. I think we've had quite a great conversation and I hope a few people took note and are definitely supporting themselves through the holidays, whatever it is that you're dealing with. Could you give us a quick summary, Kayla? Basically, the idea is that this is the holiday time of year. This is winter, which coincides. And start with shifting your expectations in terms of how wonderful everything is going to be and who's going to be there and how it's going to go. See if you can get yourself ready for, you know, like start having conversations with your loved one before the holiday or holidays so that you can you could be clear about soft expectations that you have of them. I am, I, and clearly we all are like, like proponents of having alternative plans for the holiday, especially with that person or people. And also taking care of yourself, looking at your own feelings, looking at your own reactivity during this time, making sure that you're getting your needs met, sticking with the people who support you, whether it's groups or family members, and really looking at this time of like how you could do things differently this year, how you could shift yourself and your belief system and your behavior. And I love the example that you gave of putting it out there in a, in a way so that you could also get help. So not everything is going to be pressure on you, that you share the wealth. And that's really a way of being more inclusive anyway. And the other thing you said was having, you know, an alcohol-free holiday, even if alcohol is not the person's issue, it is a substance of escape. And so you don't necessarily want them to have the option or feel like they have to fight it if they're in the room with uh, everybody else. Well, thank you. And I will talk to you again next week. Have a good one. Get through this. We could do it. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.